He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And we have a big show for you guys today. Cam Jordan of Golf Week is going to come on with us to talk NCAA National Championship. We're going to talk everything about the stroke play portion and preview this match play portion that just got underway this morning with Golf Week's Cam Jordan. We're going to talk a lot about the memorial coming up this week. But before we do both of those things, fellas, we have to talk about the two professional golf tournaments last weekend over Memorial Day weekend. And fellas, I got to be honest, I was hanging out with the family, uh, you know, with Reagan's family. It was awesome stuff down in Moore, hanging out by the pool, watching a lot of softball, some crazy softball games this weekend at their house. So I didn't necessarily see every shot to either of these golf tournaments this weekend, kind of took the weekend off for once. Um, But fellas, we did have two really great golf tournaments. Uh, Let's start at the Charles Schwab Challenge down at Colonial. Emiliano Grillo ends up winning the golf tournament at eight under par in a playoff over Adam Shank. And you may look at this leaderboard and say, oh, okay, you know, no big deal. Well, T-Dub, Emiliano Grillo on 18 hits it way right over these trees. He has a two-shot lead at the time. Hits it way right over these trees into an aqueduct. I didn't even know what an aqueduct was, fellas, until this weekend. But he hits it into this concrete uh, drainage system, I guess you would call it. And his ball starts rolling about 200 yards back towards the tee box. And and the ball never came really to a stop until it finally did where it rested up against a stick. Um, but fellas, they said that they waited too long, that they, you know, had to finally go to where the ball crossed the line of the hazard. And it was just a whole ordeal. He ends up making a double bogey, but then ends up winning in the playoff over Adam Shank. Emiliano Grillo, one of those guys that we thought, you know, might be a young up and coming star on the PGA Tour has struggled a little bit in his career, maybe not struggle, but has just not really contended in big events like we thought he might as a really young guy but Emiliano Grillo wins the Charles Schwab challenge and that is huge for his career coming up especially with elevated events coming up next year being able to set that schedule is one of those things we talk about with a lot of these guys that aren't the big names on the PGA Tour by the way as we say every week that Scotty Scheffler tees it up He finishes in the top five, but doesn't win the golf tournament, and it's because of the putting. Uh, Lost almost half a shot on the field in round four on the greens. Lost over a full shot on the greens this week. Again, it was a different tournament. Same story for Scotty Scheffler. Harry Hall is another guy that I didn't know a whole lot about. Where's the uh, old Ben Hogan hat, uh, T-Dub, and has a phenomenal short game and really smooth swing from England. I enjoyed watching him play as well. Well, he finishes tied for third with Scotty Scheffler, but 
Really, T-Dub, I didn't see a whole lot of the golf, but I did see the wild finish for Emiliano Grillo. Had to be a happy playoff for him, considering it, it could have gone the other way, and he could have been leaving with a bad taste in his mouth, but he gets it done in the playoff over golf's best name, Adam Schenk. I've been watching golf a long time, guys, and I've never seen a situation what occurred on the 18th hole at Colonial happen because it's such a tricky rule situation, right? It's like the ball has not came to rest yet. What am I supposed to do? And eventually, they, as you said, Sam, said they ran out of time. You take too long. So then had to go take his job. Ends up making a double null situation. And he was 10 under. looked like he had the whole thing sewn up. But then, like you said, goes out and wins the playoff against Adam Shake. Made a nice little five-footer on that hole to seal the deal. I'm not dealing. Really got it done on the greens this week. He gained almost two shots putting uh, for the event. He gained uh, over three shots on the greens in the final round. He also gained over three shots approach in the final round and gained more than a full shot for the entire week. So that's really where Grillo was able to get it done. And then, as you mentioned earlier, Sam, about Scotty Sheffer, I mean, just losing a more than a full shot on the greens again and only losing by one shot. And actually met hole in one on the eighth hole yesterday, part three. And then, uh, but unfortunately, he played his last eight holes at one over, and there was a par five in there as well. I will say this, though, Woody. The course was playing pretty tough because they shut it down right after this tournament for the uh, Gil Hance restoration that is coming. I'm really interested to see how that turns out. So they're really letting it burn up, and it's really kind of playing like a major championship. And we had talked about before that this uh, this leaderboard, or it looked like the, the top names playing in this tournament, were really going to be stellar. It was going to be one of the better non-elevated events of the year, and you look at the leaderboard, there's a lot of guys there in the top 10, but uh, it really didn't seem like much of those names really had much of a chance on Sunday afternoon. As usual, we think we've got it figured with the the stars, Burns and Scheffler and some of those guys, they're going to win, and then who do we have? A guy that's won once on tour, had won in eight years, comes out of nowhere. Now, speaking of the aqueduct, I've been in the aqueduct. I take the ball right in there. I've that very no aqueduct? I've, I've, that very one. I've got no pride. I'll tell you when I hit bad <laughs> shots. I'll try to never tell you about my good shots because then people tell me I'm full of myself, okay? But I'll tell you about my bad shots. So I've checked one over there. It's, i got to be honest with you guys. you got to hit a really bad golf shot to get it that far over there, okay? <laughs> now, now there, there is a light going down the left side, but, I mean, I've, I've hit it in there, and I can honestly tell you it was – a bad golf shot, not just a kind of a little bit of a miss. That's ugly miss. So uh, for him to compose himself, go to the first tee, hit some balls, let some kids hit his clubs while he's waiting, and then go out and win on the second playoff hole. Well, boy, that's that's I I can't say I was disappointed with that golf tournament, but I I can say that we were pretty excited about that field, and it didn't come to our. Uh, that went of what we thought. We thought the stars would shine, and they they really didn't. In fact, what speed missed the cut, didn't he? Yes, he did. He shot four over for the tournament for the first two days. Shot a seventy-two, seventy-two back to back. Only made uh, he he only made one birdie in the first round. Ended up making three in the in the second, but uh, also had five bogeys there. So uh, not very good stuff from Jordan Speed. Looks like he's kind of dealing with a, a wrist ailment. And who knows how long it'll take to get back from one of those? Those can be a very lingering issue. For yeah, sure. and Woody, to your point, I mean. My pick, Justin Rose, did play solid. He, he finished tied for 12th at 3-under, but, I mean, you had Hovland tied for 16th. You you had Colin Morikawa down there at even. A lot of these big names, like we just mentioned with 
Spieth missing the cut and these guys not really contending. Uh, it was a strong field, but those top players didn't really play like it. Probably tired from the PGA Championship, if I had to guess. We saw a little bit of the same thing at the Live event that we'll get to in a second. Oh, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Burns, Burns played okay. He, I think he finished top 10, too. But I don't know. I was like you guys. I had a lot going on this weekend. It was Memorial weekend, you know, golf. Just I, I thought I'd have time to watch, and I didn't. So, anyway, long story short, it was what it was, and now we move on. No doubt. Woody says to move on, so let's go ahead and move on to Live D.C., uh, where they were playing at Trump National D.C. Harold Varner III, very popular winner on the Live Golf Circuit, gets his first win on Live, finishes at 12 under par, one shot over Brandon Grace, who continues to play great golf, who we saw play, you know, be in the playoff with Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson in Tulsa. Mito Pereira, I think one of you guys picked Mito this week, finishes solo third at 10 under par. Sebastian Munoz and Henrik Stinson tied for fourth place at Live DC. Harold Varna III was really impressive. I watched a little bit of this tournament, especially the first couple days, because I wanted to see Trump DC, and it hasn't changed very much. The only difference, guys, that I saw on the golf course really was the, the whole layout was different, obviously, but then the other thing that I saw that was different is there was not as long a rough for these guys as it was for us uh, back in 2013 at the PGA Junior Championship, but it still is a little bit penalizing off the tee, and and you can see some guys hit some balls in the water. Um, You know, 12 under par is really good, but a lot of good players, um, you know, Bryson DeChambeau, 6 under par, Brooks Kepka still finished 5 under par for the golf tournament off the bender. That's pretty good for him. Taylor Gooch four under par but my point is it was still a pretty tough golf course some firm greens um and Harold Varner the third really impressed me on that 18th tee you have the native grass to the right and the water to the left and the bunker on the right that you don't want to hit it in either and he steps up on that tee and fellas he absolutely stripes this drive hits it onto the green and two putts for his birdie to win live dc that was really impressive stuff from harold varner that showed me that that guy when he's in contention he knows how to win and he has the onions to do it t-dub and also too him getting out to an eight under first round start really held him there did shoot an even par in the second round which kind of lingered him he was actually one shot back of mino Pereira going into final round Mito did have the leading shot Mito shot one under in the final round Harold Varner as you mentioned that clutch birdie on 18 which was nice because it looked like for a point that Brendan Grace may have been the first live winner we had not finish on the 18th hole because Brendan Grace made a what about a 20 25 foot birdie putt That's right. on the on on number two to get him to 11 under he thought well if Harold pars this hole then we're going to go in, into another playoff back-to-back weeks on live that would have been pretty cool but but you know this tournament as, I love watching Harold Varner win. I think he's a great champion. And I'm, I think Bryson DeChambeau finished 10th. But it just seemed like it was kind of similar to the uh, the Colonial. What it just seemed like you had guys like Andy Ogletree up there. You had the Kevin Nonslark and Cameron Chingali uh, finished in there ninth as well. So it's Sebastian Munoz finished uh, tied four. So it was just seemed like that we looked for the Dustin Johnsons. And, and I, none of us really thought Brooks Kepka was going to do anything off of what he had been going through this last week. But even Taylor Goose down there at 4-under never really thought he had a chance to win the tournament. So And Dustin Johnson finished down there 
at uh, what he finished, 23rd, I believe. So, yeah, it just seemed like, once again, what he just seemed like the big names just uh, really weren't there, unfortunately, um, even though I love seeing Harold win, for sure. Obviously, everybody took Memorial Weekend off, like you and I and uh, Sam did, like laying around the pool. Uh, the, the big names just didn't show up. But I think you guys are right. I think that a lot of that was PGA the week before. They were uh, – they're tired. They're tired. I guarantee you now you talk about lines around the pool. They're all doing it right now. And I was like you guys. Harold Barnum, that was a, that was a cool win. That That's a big win for Liv. And I sure do like him. He uh, – you know, he's so brutally honest. Even Colby has to like him because he, he comes right out and says, I went to Liv for uh, the money. I went to with I, I, and he'll tell you point blank. I went to live for the money. I was looking to take care of my family. You don't get a chance to take care of your family like I'm getting to take care of mine. So, I think it's a great win for Liv. It's a good win for him, and it's a good win. Uh, you know, to build confidence as far as the range goes. They didn't win the golf tournament as a team, but they're going to be strong. I don't know if they'll ever be the four aces, but they're looking pretty good, aren't they, guys? Yeah, they definitely are. They finished third, so they finished on the podium. Team Stinger, who we saw up in Tulsa win, they finished second at 24 under. And then Team Torquay gets their second win of the year. Mito Pereira, David Pouge, Sebastian Munoz, and Joaquin Neiman. Really, Joaquin Neiman didn't do much in this tournament. Shoots even par for the tournament, but Mito finishes at 10 under. You have Pouge at 5 and Munoz at 8. That was really impressive stuff from Team Torquay getting their second win on the season. Yeah, and Woody, you're right on the money with Harold Varner III. Really popular guy in all of professional golf. One of the nicest guys out there. Taylor Gooch's best friend. He's Now I see the reason why Taylor Gooch wanted to leave the four aces and go to the range goats. I mean, by the way, the four aces finished sixth in this tournament and the range goats finished third range goats are playing big time golf right now and so uh really looking in the right direction for our favorite team the range goats uh speaking of harold varna the third guys what do you were also right on the money on the fact that he doesn't mince any words on why he went to live he says yeah i went there for the money and the first thing he said after he wins is i cannot wait to use this money for my foundation to help my local community. And I thought that that was really awesome stuff as well. T-Dub, I want to hear both you and Woody's thoughts on this. Do you think when you have a major championship and then it seemed like all the big names or at least most of the big names other than like Rory McIlroy and John Rahm were in action the week after a major championship this week, do you think that that is more you know, taxing physically or mentally? Do you think that these guys, you know, do you think that they're just tired physically or do you think they're tired mentally or a little bit of both? What do you think the big difference is from going into a tournament absolutely fresh and coming off a major championship week and even the live guys, they had to play the week before in Tulsa as well. Uh, So really tough stretch of grueling golf for these guys in professional golf recently. What do you think the big aspects of playing multiple weeks in a row are? I think it is definitely a combination of both for sure, especially when you go, as you mentioned, three weeks in a row when you're all going to various different parts of the country and just applying it and all the things that transpire there, I feel like is, is definitely something, but also too, at the same time, you know, especially now in live, I think it's going to be more mental because at least now you're playing you, if you're did the same thing on the PJ tour, you're playing two less rounds. 
so that's a little bit better for the body when it comes to physical wise. You're still practicing and doing all that, so you're still putting that strain, but you're also doing that nevertheless if, this time of year, especially if you're playing a tournament or not. So I don't know what if I had to put a percentage on it, I'd probably say 75, 80% of it's mental, maybe 25, 20% of it uh, would be physical, but you could probably attest to it even better than I can. I'll only say this, guys. Every major I played in, it was like any other golf tournament on steroids. It was, it was so taxing mentally. Physically, I think all those guys are capable of playing as much golf as they want to play. I don't think a golfer ever loses it because he gets tired physically, unless you're fighting injuries, something like Tiger has been over the last three, four years. But for the most part, guys, I think it's all mental. I, I just I just know from me personally, and I wasn't what you called a, oh, a hardcore tour player by any stretch of the imaginations, and I was still one slick. So mentally, it just puts so much pressure on you every shot that you just wear down. And the problem with mental guys, with the mental part of golf, you don't really notice it. You just do stupid things over and over again. And then you go, why did I do that? Well, because you just had a brain fart. You just weren't there. So I'd almost say it's 90% mental and 10% physical. Yeah, and I think we saw that from other guys like Michael Block at Colonial, right? I mean, he finishes dead last at 15 over. We all know that that's not the real Michael Block. He just had not only a crazy week physically for him, uh, you know, he's not used to playing four rounds in a major championship setting, and then not to mention all the interviews that he had to do afterwards now. I did think it was a little interesting that he said that he has a world-class short game and, and around the greens he would be as good as Rory McIlroy if uh, if he had Rory McIlroy's distance. Um, I don't know about that, fellas. I mean, this week around the greens he lost you know almost two shots around the greens and lost a full shot over a full shot on the greens. So I'm not quite sure about that, but I do know that he can play better than that. Uh, what were your thoughts on Michael Block uh, this week at Columbia? You know, it's cool to see him there, but he did finish DFL. We have to mention it. It's not a shock at all. I mean, at the end of the day, you look at every metric you just alluded to. Short game, lost almost two shots putting, lost over a shot approach. He lost almost three shots and off the tee. He lost almost a shot and a half. It's just there was no aspect of his game that was good at all. But, I mean, I felt like we could have – I felt like we did prognosticate that very, very firmly. I mean, did he think he may have been able to be one or two guys? Yes, I thought that may have happened. I didn't necessarily think he would have finished – had DFL, he was the analytic favorite to finish DFL by quite a margin, so it's really not shouldn't be a shock to anyone. But I guess we'll get to see him again at the Canadian Open coming up, Woody. So uh, maybe he'll have a chance to uh, somewhat redeem himself. Even though I think what happened in the PGA will live in infamy for so long that he could finish DFL every turn he goes to the rest of the way and still be a legend. I know now why I never finished fifteenth at a PGA as a club pro because I wasn't confident enough. I would have never even for Roy's length would have told you I would have been one of the best players in the world. So that's why he's where he was, and I was where I was about 50th every time I played in one. Um, By the way, I want to clear something up with that, Woody. I'm not bringing that up to poo-poo on Michael Block. I'm bringing that up to really take up for Rory McIlroy and say, yeah, I mean, he might have a little bit of faults here and there in his game, but let's not get it twisted I'm taking Rory McIlroy's short game over Michael Block's 100 days out of 100. 
<laughs> well, so am I, Sam. I couldn't agree with you more. But but when I look at the week he must have had, meaning Michael Block, uh, obviously got an agent because I saw on his shirt he has Kane's chicken on the side of his shirt now on his sleeve. He didn't have that PGA. So you, you can only imagine how many interviews he did, how many phone calls he got, how many text messages he got, one for Michael Jordan. It's just, it would be uncanny how fried he was. I can't even believe he shot what he shot. I figured he might go even higher. Uh, that's how tired and worn out he was. And so, yeah, he's going to get a couple of weeks off to go back. But let me tell you something. It's not going to stop when he gets home for the next few months anyway. There's going to be people pulling and tugging at him at every every angle when he gets home. They'll want lessons. People never even had a golf lesson or want him to teach them. And the worst thing he's going to have is he's going to go out there and he's going to get paid $150 an hour, but he's going to try to teach somebody who can't even hold the club. I taught a kid one time, I asked him, did you ever play baseball when you kid? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what position? He said, right base. I knew then he had no athletic talent, no ability <laughs> to play golf, and it was the longest hour of my whole freaking life. Okay? So, is he going to play good at Canada? I doubt it. I, guys, I'm not thinking he's going to play good again until he plays in the National Club Pro again. But it doesn't matter is what I'm saying. He had his moment. Everybody gets – he didn't have 15 minutes. He's had about 50 days is what he's going to have. It's just warning, uh, going to wear him out. So I'm pulling for him, but he's already done more than anybody I'd ever seen do at a PGA, so good for him. No doubt about that, guys. By the way, to wrap up our live talk there, I meant to mention that the four aces are still in the lead of the team standings. Team Stinger is in second. Team Torquay is in third. They have two wins on the year. They're the only team with two wins on the year. The Range Goats are in fourth, but don't look now because they finished second, first, third, and third in their last four events headed into... Spain, where they're going to go play at Valderrama in Spain. That's coming up June 30th through July 2nd. So they have a little break here as far as live goes. Now, obviously, we're going to have the U.S. Open in between there. Woody, my last question to you is, I never really got a good grasp on this when I was playing competitive golf and making my own schedule in the summertime. Obviously, I never played a professional golf schedule, but my question to you is, obviously, these live guys have to play every single event, and they don't really have a choice. The guys on the PGA Tour, like last week, we saw a lot of them choose to play the week after the PGA Championship. When you were playing... What was the fine line between playing too much and tiring yourself out or playing enough to stay sharp? Because I felt like at times when I played a lot, even though I was tired, I was playing better because I was playing every day and playing competitive golf every day. And you can't replicate that any other way than playing in you know, tournaments, Woody. And so my question to you is, do you think that we'll see a little bit of a disadvantage at times from live guys having to play every week? Or do you think that's a good thing for some of these guys considering they get the off season, then they go back to work? You know, I, I, it was a fine line, Sam. You can't play and play and play. I used to try to go three weeks on and try to take two weeks off. Uh, then I would sometimes go even more for four weeks on and two weeks off. And that was because I was trying to keep my playing privileges. But I think I don't call it a disadvantage for those guys on live that are forced to go 
it always seems like the week after the major. But what Liv's got to understand, those guys aren't going to be as sharp. They, they can't. They can't expect those guys to play a major championship, then come that next week and be that sharp. So I think it's a benefit for Liv that they're in the majors, especially if they're winning them like Kepka did. But they also got to realize on the backside, it's going to be a little tough. It's going to be a little tough for those guys to be able to compete. I think if, if you ask me, I think all of them have a schedule that they figure out. Tiger was really very few on him. He took more time off than anybody I knew, but still performed at a high level. So it can be done. And then T-Dub, my question to you is really this is the first full season schedule that we've seen on Live, and it's kind of a, a trial run, really. I mean, we haven't really seen guys have to play in certain events until this year with guys on Live. Do you think that they should make any adjustments to the schedule next year? Or is, are they kind of just hamstrung by the fact that they have to be going up against non-elevated events on the PGA Tour? That is definitely a hurdle is that they have to wait for the PGA Tour schedule to officially come out before they can set their schedule. At least at this stage of the game, they do not need to be competing against PGA Tour elevated events. I think it's been a smart decision so far. I feel like one problem, just as Woody was alluding to, is, is that I feel like that the timing around the majors has not been ideal. I'm not sure that it's the best idea to have one week before a major. It seemed like that we even saw at Cedar Ridge, there were some guys who definitely you could tell did not want to be at that tournament. They want to be preparing for the major the next week. And then have, and then especially at the week after, it's so hard to have the elite guys, which are what people are going to come out and watch. That's what people uh, are going to turn in or turn on the TV to watch. Is that so? Yeah. When those guys are not up at the top of the leaderboard, it definitely makes it tough. And as far as the scheduling thing you're talking about earlier, I feel like it's so personal preference, right? You have guys like Sung JM who could play 45 tournaments in a year and be totally fine. And, and as what he was talking about too, with tiger, I mean, he's, he would play 15, 20 events uh, sometimes on occasion. So, yeah, I think it's definitely personal preference at that point. But, but yeah, Liv is going to have to figure out some way to get this a little bit better around the major championship for sure. But it does also make it tough because the majors all now are, are compact into essentially one every month in the uh, late spring, early summer. So that is a little bit there. So they have some hurdles there for sure. But there's, I do think that there's a very good chance that when next year's Liv schedule comes out, the timing of some of the events will be definitely different for sure. Yeah, I, I would like to see him not do the week before and the week after a major, even though this year you kind of have to at times. And then, like we said, with one major per month now, you get this giant gap in the live schedule where there's literally a month gap between live dc and uh and live spain and so it, it's going to be interesting to see i think the more popularity that live gains they could probably go up against an elevated event just to you know give their guys a break right and, and not necessarily try to jam pack all of this right into you know three weeks with the Live Tulsa PGA and then Live DC. I don't know if that was the greatest thing uh, just as far as if you're wanting big names to win your golf tournament. The guys that played all three of those weeks were definitely at a disadvantage this week at Live DC. But, I mean, Harold Varner did it, and he won the golf tournament, so some guys like it. Um, let's go ahead and hit a break. After the break, we are going to talk 
NCAA's National Championship going on right now at Greyhawk. We're going to talk about Fred Biondi winning the National Championship individually. Who did he beat in that final round? We'll tell you coming up after the break on the 73rd Hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And if you are not getting all of your local golf news from Golf Oklahoma, definitely go do that. And also follow us on social media at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. I'm at Sam Humphreys34 on Twitter as well. And then please hit that subscribe button on Spotify. It's the follow button on Apple. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. And we have a lot of great content coming up with the Corn Ferry event at Jimmy Austin. And we also have a bunch of great golf coming up in the schedule of the summer of 2023. Let's go ahead and hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, Oklahoma's leader in golf. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McCrayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. back on the other side of the break on the 73rd hole podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma sam humphreys taylor williams jim woodward still with you but we are about to be joined by golf weeks cam jordan but before we do that i do want to remind you to go to golfoklahoma.org. Our great friends Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a heck of a job covering you know, high school golf, then it was college golf, we got pro golf going on, they had all access to Live Tulsa, Corn Ferry event coming up at Jimmy Austin, all sorts of great local golf being covered by the guys at golfoklahoma.org. Speaking of that, we do have to make mention, T-Dub, and I'll let you take it from here, of the OC Eagles. Last show we did, we told the fans that they were in the lead by a considerable margin. How did that turn out for OC? Well, they go out and they win the stroke play portion by a whopping 15 shots, and then we go into the infamous match play, which in Division Two they do the match play format, but instead of it doing by holes, they do it just a cumulative stroke, so it's kind of like a, a metal play match per se. And they got to the final match, and they lost 3-2 to two, um, in, in that session. So, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty not very good way to end a tournament. I mean, you go out and you dominate the stroke play portion, and then really leading the entire way in almost every match. And so just the last few holes didn't come down the way they wanted to. So, yeah, definitely as a former OC Eagle, it hurt to see him for a second year in a row, Sam, make it to the finals of the match play and end up not getting the job done. 
Yeah, that's tough. But, I mean, they still got to hold their heads high. I mean, I still think, guys, and, and this is my first question before we have Cam Jordan on here. I, I just want to shoot the breeze, talk a little bit of college golf since the season has just come to an end. I think in, in D2 and in D1, there should be three national championships. What do you, I'll get your thoughts on this first. I think there should be an individual champion for stroke play. I think that there should be a team champion for stroke play, and then I think there should be a team champion for match play. I don't understand why there's not. You see that in other sports like gymnastics. I don't understand why you can't do that in golf. Sam, I think it goes back to what we always talk about. I think it's called the NCAA. I'm not sure they always are on the same page as we are as far as common sense goes. Yeah, it makes sense. Sure does. I hate match play. I absolutely hate match play because I do not believe you get the best champion that way. You get a champion that's good. They're good players, obviously, but they're not playing stroke play, which is what golf really is, is stroke play. So if you're just hell-bent on keeping match, then find a way to bring back stroke, too. I Totally agree with you, buddy. But, you know, it's kind of like a gas station I drove by a minute ago. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. The gas price was $2.50. I think that place was closed. I went in there to see if I could get that gas in there. What I'm trying to say is the NCAA sometimes is so far beyond the mark and they're closed down usually. And T-Dub, to me, they can make so many different changes with the national championship. We'll get into the actual golf tournament along with Cam Jordan coming up here in a minute. But T-Dub, I don't like that factor. If As a fan, I love the match play, and it's coming up here today and tomorrow, and it's going to be really entertaining to watch, but... As a fan, I love it. As a player, I would hate it considering the the team that wins in stroke play rarely, if ever, wins the actual national championship. And then the other thing, T-Dub, that I want you to speak to is if we're playing for the individual national championship and all that the team portion of the stroke play is for is for seeding, then why do they not pair? Why are the tee times not based on individual scores instead of team scores? It, It just... Makes no sense to me, and I thought that you know Fred Biundi yesterday definitely caught a break, considering he was behind, but he got to play after and see what he needed to do. Well, the reason for that, Sam, is because they want to make sure that that top eight is the emphasis of what the final round of the stroke play portion is, which is what they've tried to do. And, and the whole reason for it, as you're saying, it's better for the fan viewership to watch it, which is the main whole reason they went to, to the match play portion, which. It's just, it's a, it's a funny conundrum, right? Because you, you tell yourself you want to have the best team win the national championship. That's usually what someone would like to say. And it seems like that over the course of since they've done this, yes, it has been great for viewership to watch, especially the last round. I mean, I remember back when OU won the national championship, it came down to the Brad Dalkey final match. I mean, that was exhilarating stuff. That was great. That's what the whole format was designed to do. But, I mean, on a year-in, year-out basis, are you getting the best team to win the national championship by this format? I'm going to say no, um, and, and, and also, too, as opposed to, as you are alluding earlier, too, with the pairings and all that, it, it's, it would be really complicated to send out Florida's one-man or whatever and the final group and have their five-man go off at eight in the morning or something like that. You know, there's a lot of different things about that that make it a little bit weird. So, that's Woody, that's really the main reason why they're so focused on the team aspect. Also, too, a lot of people that are, watching, that are going to watch this, unlike us, I mean, if you look at the top ten names on the leaderboard, the majority of golf fans are not going to know who these people are. But if you look at the team portion, which is what everyone 
is so focused on that's what they're in entranced with Woody. So I think it's really just a priority list on what the fans want to see more, and that's the teams as opposed to the individuals. And it goes back to money again, like we always talk on this show. I think the match play brought the attention, especially when Mike Holder was still around at Oklahoma State. He thought you got better television from it. And I can't argue that, P-Dub. I'm with you. When OU was trying to win and Dolphy was down in that last match, that was really stimulating watching that golf for us. Of course, for us, we're from Oklahoma. Of course it was. But when it's all said and done, when do we really determine the best players, guys? What do we do? We play stroke play. And we don't play 18 holes. We play 72 or 54 nowadays. But we don't play 18 holes to determine who the best player or best team is. And yet, really, that's what we're doing now. So we're always going to have to say, is this the best team? Well, obviously, the guys that have won stroke play have never won match play. So that should speak volumes right there. To me, that tells you the match play is not giving us the true best college golf team. Again, these are our opinions. We don't run the NCAA. So I don't know what goes on behind their closed doors, but it's not the same that goes through our minds, obviously, guys. Yeah, and, and maybe not the best team because, like, obviously we saw Vanderbilt not even make it to match play. I, I think that – and we saw Ludwig Aberg, uh, you know, who we'll get to in a second. He didn't contend in this golf tournament. But it, it's not necessarily the best team that we want to see crown the national champion. We want to see the team that's playing the best that week at the national championship, right? And I think that you don't even get that sometimes with match play. But it is really entertaining to watch. We could talk until we're blue in the face whether – match play is a good thing or a bad thing and it's been good for TV and and you know not necessarily crowning the correct national champion I guess you could say but let's move on guys before we get to Cam I have another question for you guys and and first we have to give a big congratulations to Ludwig Aberg who won the PGA Tour University PGA Tour U finished first on the points list and and what a career he had I mean eight career wins he had nine events this season had four wins nine top 10 finishes had a 68.46 scoring average won the Haskins uh or won the Hogan award as a finalist for the Haskins award he'll probably win that too um he finishes first and he is the first player to go from college and finish first on the PGA Tour U and get his PGA Tour card. Now, uh, you know, the two through five guys on the PGA Tour U points list get full Corn Ferry status for next season or for this coming season. Fred Biundi, Adrian Dumont de Chassart uh, from Illinois, Biundi obviously from Florida. Then Number four, you had Ross Steelman from Georgia Tech, obviously. And then right there in that five spot, Sam Bennett from Texas A&M. Those guys will have full Corn Ferry status. And they are also allowed to accept unlimited sponsors exemptions on the PGA Tour, which is a good change. And then six through ten, William Mao, Ryan Burnett, Patrick Welch of OU, Ricky Castillo, and Yuxin Lin, those guys will have conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour and full status on PGA Tour Canada. Then 11 through 20, those guys will have full status on PGA Tour Canada, but no Corn Ferry status. T-Dub, 
Uh, really happy for Ludwig Aberg. It's kind of ironic. Oh, what, what, what took him so long? Why'd they change it finally that the, the top college player in the country gets a PGA Tour card? That's too much common sense, T-Dub. I wonder why they did it now. Thank you, Liv. Right, T-Dub? Well, one of the biggest problems that in professional golf really ever since I had ever been following it was how do you get from the biggest stage in college or amateur golf to the big leagues, to the PGA Tour? And before you had to go through the Canadian tour, that was really the only way that you could do it. Or you did some sort of mini tour. You go to you go to China, you do things, or you go to Latin America, you do things like that. And it also put a lot of emphasis on, I mean, a few years ago was before PJ Tour U is that you got into PJ Tour terms based off of sponsors exemption. So it was based off the sponsor thought that you were good enough or deserved a spot in the tournament. But now, there's at least some sort of criteria to where you can know if you play good enough in these certain events, you have a chance to get a PGA Tour card. And if you're 2 through 5 or two through, or 6 through 15, you're going to have some sort of, of corn fairy status, and you're going to have ability to play up in this final year because one thing that also made it tough, too, was the ending of the college golf season because right now there's not any qualifying schools going around. The next one that's coming up is the corn fairy, which is, at the, I believe, the end of August. So a lot of these players – used to be they were in a limbo where it's like, well, let's go play some APT stuff. Let's go just try to, you know, make some dollars here or there, maybe pay some sponsors back, that kind of thing. But but no, it's, now it's at a point, and it's so much better. And yes, did they, did they make the change for the PGA Tour or the number one to get a card in the PGA Tour because of Liv? Yes, this is something that PGA Tour U has implemented before Liv ever came around. But when it first happened, it was pretty, I mean, like it was a good change, but it, they weren't doing the things that were still needed or to really incentivize anyone if there was a tour like Liv that came around to leave. But now, Woody, now that Aberg does have a chance to go out and play on the PGA Tour the rest of this year, I feel like that that is a huge thing and a huge get for these young players coming up who may be something that we never haven't seen in the history of golf, the battling between which professional tour to go to. Well, no doubt, Aberg, Aberg is one of those types of rare individuals that I believe is really ready for the tour right now. And wouldn't it have been a shame for him to have to go back and just sit around, sit around, go through a qualifying field, just like you said, T-Dub. You know, there's a point where you get a certain quality of athlete that needs to go right out there, and Aberg's that kid. The other thing that I think is cool about this, though, guys, with, that, with those elevated events coming next year on the PGA Tour, those sponsorships are going to be big for those other four guys. And that's just my opinion because the fields are not going to be as strong. They're going to be weaker. There's no doubt they're going to be weaker. So they're going to have talking to about the non-elevated events, right? Woody, just right, to be clear. Right. Yeah. So those, yeah, those non-elevated events are going to need some, some juice. You know what I mean? They're going to need something to give them a little bit of fire. Uh, that's why those four guys, it's just going to be big for those other four guys besides Aberg. I know they're probably different, disappointed they didn't win, but you're not going to beat him. He, he is that type of player that's better than everybody else. So I just think it's going to be huge. And we all know this, this was needed by far. There's a lot of things that were needed in golf, and competition always tends to do that, doesn't it, guys? It, it brings out what's needed. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, and we even saw Augusta National make a change, fellas. And we have about five minutes here. My question to you, and I'll ask you first, T-Dub, is would you rather be Ludwig Aberg right now with a PGA Tour card finished first in PGA Tour U, or would you rather have the full Corn Ferry status and be able to play 
at the Masters, which is what Fred Biondi is able to do now uh, since he won the national championship individually. And Augusta National is now inviting the NCAA national champion. I think it's kind of an interesting question there. I'm going to go ahead and go with the uh, the Corn Ferry one with the Masters trip because, I mean, we saw what someone like Sam Bennett did this year, right? I mean, you just get an opportunity to do what you can on that on the greatest tournament in the world. I think that's definitely something. And even if you get on the, the PGA Tour and you can make a successful living, doesn't mean you're going to get to Augusta a very many handful of times, maybe ever. So, yeah, I think, I think you'd have to go with that and really take your chances. And also, on that point, you can still get sponsors exemptions into PGA Tour events. You just don't have as much status as the number one guy would. So I, I do agree with you, Sam. I do think it is an interesting question for sure uh, to poise. But, Woody, I feel like that if you can guarantee yourself a, a chance to play in the Masters, I feel like you have to take that. I'm the perfect guy to ask because you guys always ask me, how come I never gone to Augusta? And what did I tell you guys? I came close about three times, and I thought, well, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And guess what? I never got there. I got to play it, but I never got to play the Masters. So – as you look at that, I wasn't quite as good as Abram did, though. <laughs> so I know there's no guarantee. You're right. There's no guarantees in golf. But I think as good as he is, Abram, meaning him, I, I would go. I would go out on the tour, and I'd start making real money. I really would. Uh, I just got to I gotta believe he's going to get to Augusta. And if he doesn't, it might be something that kicks himself. But what does he tell me? If he doesn't, guys, then that means he didn't have the career I thought he was going to have. And so it's kind of a new point anyway, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think in this situation, uh, normally I would go with what T-Dub's saying. But considering how good Aberg is, I know there's no guarantees in golf, but... I'm going to guarantee on this radio or on this podcast right now that Ludwig Aberg is going to make a Masters one day. And so I, I think I would go ahead and take the PGA Tour card. And obviously, this isn't even factoring in, you know, any live contracts or guaranteed money that might, might be, you know, being thrown my way if I did finish first like Ludwig Aberg. Um, I, I think it would be a very interesting question. But I do think, guys, to wrap this up, that college golf has headed in the right direction and and maybe they needed a kick in the butt from all the stuff that's going on in the professional golf world um but the fact that at least one guy i still think it should be the top five on pga tour you get their pga tour cards um but at least one guy is getting his pga tour card the other guys are getting full status on the corn ferry um and then even the pga tour canada that's a big deal we've seen guys like Michael Gellerman and Taylor Gooch from around here, they've gone through PGA Tour Canada, made uh, the PGA Tour. Now, it's a little harder nowadays to get to that top, top level of the PGA Tour from Canada, but it's still an opportunity. So, all in all, and then, by the way, Fred Biondi playing in the Masters, that's another great change. So, all in all, T-Dub, I think it is a bunch of solid moves, uh, whether they really wanted to do it or not they did it and so I think it's been a really good kind of period in college golf where we're changing things for the better at least slowly and I think it's very very slowly I think the changes that have been made are really in all honesty not that big a deal I feel like these are things that should have been done forever ago and are just now happening but no I think college golf is in a worse place than you do Sam in all honesty I think the way that the regional system is set up I think is BS I mean the fact that there's really no emphasis on the regular season of college golf, I think, is an absolute crime, which they're 
essentially isn't we're at a point now in the national championship. We just debated for 15 minutes on the fact that the best team usually does not win because it's a match play format. So we have a system where the regular season has no emphasis and we have a national championship where we don't believe the best team is ever winning. So no, I think college golf is actually in a bad place and they're going to definitely need to be a lot more changes that need to be done. Woody. If, uh, if we want the college golf, at least in my opinion, to get to where it needs to be. T-Dub, I think you're spot on, buddy. I, I think it, what's really sad, guys, is we got to be careful in golf. we got so much going on, so many changes. Sometimes we can move too fast. Sometimes we just jump ahead of ourselves, and then it's really hard to back up, isn't it, guys? So I'm, I'm thinking I, I kind of agree with T-Dub on this. We, we better be careful of what all we got going and, and knee-jerk reacting. I think college golf's in a good place. In its overall perspective, but then again, there's times I wonder, and if you if you jump too fast, it becomes a problem, in my opinion. Yeah, fellas, and, and I don't disagree with what T Dub is saying whatsoever. I've actually said some of the same things in the past. I just think that two things can be true, fellas. I think that they can make some good changes, but like T Dub said, there's a lot more changes that need to be made, in my opinion, in T Dub's opinion, in college golf. Uh, we'll table that conversation. Let's go ahead and dive into this tournament with Golf Week's Cam Jordan, who covers college golf throughout the year for Golf Week. Cam, you're out at Greyhawk right now, and, and I know where that media center is out there. Are you sitting on that back patio, one of the best spots in all of golf, really, just to sit out and chill and watch some golf? Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting out here right now looking – you can see all the way up the 18th hole. You can see up the, from the 10th tee down pretty much to the green and overlooking this little pond here that's uh, on the right side of the 18th hole. And it's a beautiful morning out here in Scottsdale. That is awesome stuff. Well, let's dive right into this golf tournament. Yesterday was a crazy one. Uh, Ross Steelman uh, was nine under to start the day. He was, what, five shots ahead of Fred Biondi to start the day. And uh, Steelman really played solid all day until 16, 17, and 18, made three bogeys on his final three holes. And Fred Biondi, solid, solid play. And, and by the way, even though he was you know, behind on the leaderboard, he was playing after Ross Steelman. Uh, so he knew what he had to do and he played 13 through 18 at one under par, really clutch from Fred Biondi. But, uh, you know, Cam, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is, is I want you to tell us about Fred Biondi and, and tell us more about who this guy is that, you know, the golf world's going to see at Augusta national coming up next year. Yeah, you know, Fred is a, he's a senior at Florida. He, he's, he planned to turn professional. Who knows what, what that's going to be like now, obviously. with uh, um, He actually yesterday, a USGA spokesperson walked up to him in the midst of a celebration and told him he has a, he's exempt into the U.S. Open here in a couple weeks as well, but he has to remain an amateur to do that. Um, he's already into sectional qualifying next week, so he could turn professional, still make it through sectionals and find his way into the field at LACC. But um yeah, the the masters the masters invite is a it's a big decision. You know, I talked with him uh, Sunday night as well, or Sunday after his round in the morning, and um, he mentioned how he hoped he would have to make that decision whether to turn professional or, or stay an amateur and take that masters exemption because that's one of the few uh, as of right now the rule isn't changed, but one of the few um, caveats to that rule is that you have to remain an amateur to get that masters exemption. So um, it's going to be an interesting choice. He 
he's from Brazil. He's, he's a senior. He has, um, I think five collegiate wins now for Florida and has been a really big part of why they won the SEC championship this year and why they were a consistent team, top 10 team all year long. And, um, obviously when you make it to match play, Florida's kind of struggled at, at Greyhawk and struggled with the NCAA championships. This is the first time that they've got a morning tea time on Sunday, which is especially out here in the desert has been so vital. And, um, and he was a big part of that. Just kind of stayed in it. Um, even had a double bogey early in his round yesterday on the um, on the seventh hole, and didn't let that take him out of it. And just kind of played solid golf all the way in, even though it was a really slow last three or four holes. But um, yeah, big decision coming up for him whether to um, remain an amateur for basically ten more months to take the Masters exemption. But um, he understands the history of the Masters. He it, it's one of his favorite tournaments, and it's one it's one of everybody's favorite tournaments. So. We'll, we'll be interested to see what he's going to do, but he, his focus was still out here. He, he, I don't know how he can go 12 hours and put all that stuff behind him and come back out here and play match play, but uh, that was a task that he was faced with, and it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. And let's talk about the team that, that won the, the stroke play portion of this championship. That's North Carolina. They were my pick before the season started to win the national championship. They just clearly look like the best team on paper, at least at that point in time. But it seemed like throughout the season, they never really had their best stuff. It seemed like they could only get two or three players to really play good in their three, four, and five. Whoever it was that week just really was not able to, to help the team out a whole lot. But what did you see from this week to where it finally seems like their potential is coming out? Yeah, you know, they're, they're a really deep lineup. Um, and they, uh, they're looking at the scoreboard just from yesterday. I mean, one through five, they're really solid. Their, their worst finishing position in stroke play is T36 with um, that being Ryan Burnett, who tied for medalist honors and lost in the playoff here last year. And then Peter Fountain, who actually I was standing by the 17th green yesterday when he chipped in for Eagle um, to shoot two over 72, which was a really good score yesterday. Um, but, you know, obviously David Ford is kind of their leader. Uh, he's really stepped up and been a great player this year. But they're, they're, North Carolina is loaded with talent across the board. We also have Austin Greaser, who yesterday was four hundred through five holes, and he actually made an ace on the par three fifth hole. He ended up shooting 66, uh, kind of a disappointing double on the 18th there, and I know that that was left a sour taste in his mouth, but still a great round from him. Um, and then Dylan Minate, who was uh, second going into the day, ended up shooting even par yesterday. But, um, you know, North Carolina is a deep lineup. Dylan has experience here. He won the national championship with Pepperdine back in 2021. Um, and he was a huge addition to the North Carolina lineup. Uh, they're a team that they're, they're the number one seed. And, and since match play started in 2009, only one team that's been the number one seed from stroke play going into match play has ended up winning the championship. And that was Oklahoma state back in 2018. But this North Carolina team definitely has an opportunity to do that just because of the depth they have. They can match up one through five and match play with pretty much anybody. Um, and kind of like you mentioned, any of those guys can, can go low and have a really strong day. And especially in match play, you get a couple holes that go your way and get some momentum. It can really sway a match. So um, I definitely think North Carolina is a favorite. Obviously, they won the stroke play. They've been one of the better teams all year. I know they surprised some people when they missed out on the ACC match play. Didn't have their best tournament there, but have been solid ever since. And obviously, it's shown through the first four days here that they can get it done. Hey, Cam, uh, Jim Woodward here. I was that was going to be something I wanted to ask you. When you're there in person and you're getting to watch these guys play, I was going to ask you about what you just said. If it's not North Carolina, who do you see that's playing really good that could win this thing? I, I think one of the best things about college golf this year is there hasn't been one team that's just been so dominant and separated itself from the rest. There's a lot of really good teams. Um, a couple of the ones, Florida, we just 
we just Vanderbilt's been the top ranked team all year, but Florida beat them in the SEC match play final. Um, and obviously, we just talked about Fred Biondi a little bit, but Florida's a team that has been really talented this year. Um, Ricky Castillo, Yushin Lin, Matthew Chris, and John Dubois is their lineup, which they're very similar to North Carolina. Any five of those guys can get you a point in match play. Um, it's, but obviously, Ricky and Fred are their are their kind of their one-two punch at the top. I've been their one and two bags all year long. Um, Arizona State had to had to get into a playoff yesterday, but Arizona State's matched up against North Carolina today on its home course. They they made the match play final last year or in the semifinals two years ago. So um, this is a place they're obviously really familiar with. Not their home course that they practice on all the time, but they're obviously closer than any other school that's here in the match play finals. But then you can't overlook Illinois. I mean, Illinois has been arguably one of the teams all year long as well. Um, they have just a really solid lineup. Uh, Pepperdine is a team that won here two years ago, uh, was in the semifinals last year. They had three transfers come in who are in their lineup. They still have William Mao and Derek Kitchener in the lineup uh, from, the champ- uh, from the championship team and from last year's team. Um, but three new, three new players in the lineup, and it hasn't seemed to hamper them whatsoever. Um, and then my pick coming in was Georgia Tech. Uh, they're, they're so good with a driver off the tee, and, and this Greyhawk is a place that – I'm sure Sam knows this. It can take driver out of your hands in a lot of spots, but um, they've, I just think that they've, they're, again, another team that just has some depth. I think that's one of the common themes with a lot of the top teams this year, and really any year. If you have depth, you're going to be successful in college golf, and there just seems to be quite a few teams this year that have depth, and they can get contributions from any of the five guys who are in the lineup, and that's what it takes on a week like this. It's a grind. These guys from their practice round through the championship tomorrow are going to have eight key times out here, and um, to be able to come out and try to play consistent golf. Um, all eight of them is, is going to be such a tough task, but if you can get every guy to contribute five or six and spread the level a little bit, that's, that's going to, that's going to what is going to what make it makes the team successful. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And you mentioned Georgia tech. We, we do have to mention Ross Steelman. Um, I mentioned that he bogeyed the last three holes basically to lose the national championship, but, one of the things that really impressed me with him yesterday was the interview he gave uh, with Billy Ray Brown after his round, and he was remaining positive. It seemed like, uh, you know, he was keeping his mindset on the match play to try to win a national championship for his team. And right now he's four up through five holes. So uh, definitely had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder going into his match with William Mao Pepperdine this morning. Um, but yeah, Georgia Tech is a team that we didn't really talk a whole lot about throughout the year. Cam, Illinois, another one. Um, Arizona State, I mean, they made the finals last year on this golf course. A little bit different lineup than they had last year but cam i mean who are you picking uh you know to win you said you like georgia tech beforehand do you still like georgia tech to win it all or or do you think that a team like illinois that we haven't at least in this big 12 part of the country we haven't talked a whole lot about are they a little bit disrespected in this part of the country or do you like t-dub's pick of north carolina who who would you prognosticate that will go ahead and, and win this national championship team wise yeah, you know, I, I, I picked Georgia Tech before the week started and, and they made match play and I'm going to stick with them. Um, obviously, there are plenty of holes left. They're facing off against Pepperdine today. They're up in three matches right now. They No one's made the turn yet. Um, Pepperdine, Sam Choi, and Connor Howe from Georgia Tech. Uh, Connor's one up through eight. 
Um, so obviously plenty of matches left to go. Who knows how that one's going to sway, but I'm, I'm sticking with Georgia Tech. Um, I just think that they're, they're so solid from top to bottom. They've been playing some really good golf. They dominated out at the Salem Regional. Um, they won ACCs. And, um, and coming here, I just thought that they were one of the teams that was playing the best golf, uh, one through five. Um, obviously, it's, it's a grind to get into to get into the match play portion. They're one of the five teams who kind of going into yesterday's final round of stroke play had somewhat already solidified their spot. Had to play a good 18 holes still to get in, but they were pretty far ahead of like the last three spots and the last three guaranteed spots that could get in. But I'm still sticking with Georgia Tech. Um, like we said, I think North Carolina could make it through. And, and if North Carolina were to win and if Georgia Tech were to win, those two are going to face off this afternoon. And um, that would be an excellent matchup. Just two teams with ex- uh, incredible depth. Um, but I'm, I'm sticking with Georgia Tech. I, I can't, can't switch my pick this late. They made match play. I just think that um, Crystal Lamprex, they have uh, Connor Howe, Hiroshi Tai, Ross Steelman. Um, those four are really, really good for them. Um, I just I, I believe that Georgia Tech has all the weapons they need to get it done if they continue uh, hitting the ball straight and playing it well as they have so far. Sam, it's been an unorthodox season in a lot of ways. You have the number one team in Vanderbilt not make the match play portion. You have local local teams for us, Oklahoma, not make the final round of the national championship. Then you have Oklahoma State not even make it to the national championship. Any of the likes of Texas Tech and Texas as well, who, we, who a lot of people closely follow around here, not even make it to the uh, final round of the national championship. So just for you, Cam, what has been the biggest shock to you so far from this tournament? You know, I think um... – Vanderbilt missing match play is definitely upsetting. They were the top-ranked team in, in the golf week rankings and the golf stat rankings. Um, but I don't think it's uh, – for some reason, it's just – it's not terribly surprising. They weren't – the second half of this year, they weren't as dominant as they were in the fall and even the early part of the spring. Um, they're a good team. It's, it's really, really hard to get into match play. But the depth of college golf right now, I mean, any eight of the teams who are in match play right now could win. I mean, Florida is – earn the second seed, and then there's um, Virginia who's playing Florida this morning. Virginia's never made match play before either. Uh, they're a team that is probably the probably the most outside one looking in that you a lot of folks wouldn't have expected to make match play, but um, Brian Lee and Ben James are kind of their freshman duo that have been really strong for them all year. Ben James has the most wins in Division One. He has five, um, and I believe he tied for fourth in the individual race yesterday. Um, but you know, the Big 12 Conference not even getting a single team into the top 15. Obviously, I know we're all from being from the Oklahoma area. Um, Oklahoma State missing out on nationals is something that just doesn't happen. I mean, only two times in the last 75 years. Uh, but since the Big 12 Conference started in 1994, this is the first time that they didn't have a team finish in the top 15. Um, and obviously, the top 15 is where the cut is at now. Um, some match play. So, it's just weird year. Texas obviously had four new players in this lineup from last year's national championship team, including uh, three freshmen in the lineup. And one of those was a mid-year enrollee and Tommy Morrison. Um, Baylor made nationals, but just really struggled from day one and could never recover. Um, OU had a really bad day one considering they played in the morning wave. And I think they shot seven or eight over par. And that just kind of put them behind the eight ball. They had to play in the afternoon the next two days and just could never recover. Drew Goodman had a good tournament. Um, finishing the top 20 for the second straight year here, but um, just a and and then Texas Tech, you know, obviously Ludwig is a really talented player and um, earned a PGA Tour card yesterday, but it's just uh, 
one through five, they weren't as consistent all year long as, as he was. So uh, just kind of a, the struggle from the big 12 is very interesting. Um, but it's a, I, I don't think it takes away anything. There's four ACC teams who are in match play and that's pretty impressive one in every match. So um, depending on how the leaderboard shakes out, there could be an all ACC semifinal, but um, chances of that happening are, would be pretty crazy, but not, it's not zero, but um, just uh, the ACC uh, could finally get, I haven't won a title in some time, I think since two, Clemson in 2003. So this could be the year that that conference uh, shakes that off. So Cam, that's something I'm listening to you because I, I'm the older guy in this group. And so college golf is kind of way down my radar, but listening to you, how many great teams there are with only four scholarships is the portal making a big difference to you at how well all these teams are kind of merging is the portal in my opinion i'm asking this question but is it equaling out all these teams where people can't keep more than their share of players on a team i would say that i think um obviously the portal gives student athletes options um i know most coaches, I mean, it, it makes it harder as a head coach because if if you're you, if you can't keep all the kids on your roster happy, then one of them is just going to leave. Um, it really hurts a lot of the mid majors and smaller schools because you have a a really good player. I think one of the best examples this year is Long Beach State has a had a kid. He's a sophomore. Ian Gilligan had a really great year. I was ranked in the top fifteen of the Golf Week and the Golf Stat rankings, um, and and he's in the transfer portal right now, and he's going to end up at likely a a. a Division one program and likely a, a pretty good Division one program just because the talent of golfer he is. Um, but you know that's with, with the rule changes and everything, uh, it gives these athletes an opportunity to go where they want to play. And and as a coach of one of these top teams, why would you not want to try to maximize your lineup? Um, obviously, they're still going to recruit. They're going to try to get the best players out of high school. Um, but it, it does give it does give these coaches options. And and because because of the way the rule is written, coaches and and their teams and the program. They have to take advantage of everything they can to try to maximize their team and maximize the team's potential. And the transfer portal is one of those now. And so every coach has had to find ways to try to get into the transfer portal and figure out how to, uh, how to make it work for them. And so, yeah, it's definitely changed college golf. It's, uh, it's definitely changed maybe how players view. Um, we always talk about in other sports leagues making a super team. And um, some of these players may look at trying to team up with other stars to on other teams to try to give themselves the best opportunity to win. So, um, it's just a, it's an, it's an interesting prospect. Another transfer portal is they talked about often and coaches are always recruiting, even out here, there's been coaches recruiting all week long. So, um, but yeah, the transfer portal has completely changed college sports and college golf is, uh, is right in there with that too. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Cam, my last question for you here is you're out there at Greyhawk and uh, the course has played pretty tough all week. Not quite as tough as it did last year when Gordon Sargent finished at even par to win the national championship, but it still played really, really tough for these guys. Um, and my question is, I mean, like we mentioned, Vanderbilt not making match play or Ludwig Aberg not having his best stuff or, or Gordon Sargent, who we haven't even talked about for Vanderbilt, finishing tied for 40th at six over par. OU not making the final round of stroke play. What is making this golf course so hard? Is it the fact that it does take driver out of your hands or is it around the greens? What What do you think it is since you're out there and what have you seen uh, the, the really teeth of this golf course is? So so the biggest teeth is off the tee. It's, it's 
there's plenty of space to land your ball, especially for players of this caliber and players this talented. There's plenty of space to keep your ball in play um, and to keep your ball in the fairway. But the danger is as soon as you get outside of that, it's the desert and, and you can lose the ball super quick or just the hazards out here. There's, there's danger lurking on every hole. Um, and if you, if players allow themselves to think about that danger, just get a little bit off, um, it can definitely, it can be penal. Um, and, and as the week has gone on, the, the greens have really firmed up. Yesterday was really the first time I noticed a lot of these greens have some brown color on them now. Um, they haven't lost them by any means. I mean, they're just, it's, it's the NCAA championship. They're firm. They're incredibly quick. Um, if you miss on the wrong tier, you're going to be penalized. So it's really, um, it's really stressing the importance of, of, uh, just making sure you're putting the ball in the right spots. If you're missing, missing in the right spots. Um, and then just like in any golf tournament ever, whoever puts the best, whichever team puts the best the next 36 hours is going to be holding the trophy at the end. Um, because of how quick these greens are, how pure these greens are. Um, there's such a challenge. There's, there's such a challenge once they get to what this speed is. So the team that puts the best and the team that is able to take to, to minimize their mistakes off the tee is going to end up winning. That. That is Cam Jordan from Golf Week. Cam, tell the people where they can follow you on not only social media, but where they can read your articles about this national championship as well. Yeah, if you go to golfweek.usatoday.com, that's where all of our uh, content from the national championships is posted. I'll have uh, the Haskins Award winners being announced here later this morning, and then I'll be able to, uh, um, and then I'll have some stories up today about the quarterfinals and the semifinals this afternoon. Uh, and the championships tomorrow as well. And then, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Cam underscore Jordan. My last name is J-O, or spelt J-O-U-R-D-A-N. Great stuff, Cam. Have a good one out there. And uh, tell those birds to be quiet out there, all right? They're trying to play golf, okay? I know. They're talking a lot this morning. So, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a good one and enjoy the rest of the golf, Cam. Thank you for joining us on the 73rd hole. Thank you, guys. Big, big thank you again to Cam Jordan coming on, talking a little bit of college golf. Always love talking college golf, especially with a guy who knows it as well as Cam Jordan. Definitely go catch all of his stuff on Golf Week. Guys, we have one more thing we need to do today. That is preview the Memorial Tournament coming up this weekend and fellas it is an elevated event this week great field at the memorial one of the best tournaments of the year to watch scotty scheffler is your data golf analytics favorite 12.9 percent chance to win the golf tournament patrick cantlay 8.6 percent chance john rom 7.7 percent chance uh and then you have xander shoffley and rory mcelroy round out your top five t-dub you know what i'm about to say every single tournament i ask you will the winner come out of those five guys i hope it is because i have a pick in there so i'm gonna have to go with that just to do it and i mean this is just one of my favorite golf courses that they play on, on a consistent basis i love Yorkville village so much it's always golf digest top 100 it's always inside the top 20 i believe and it it's so penalizing off of the tee box but you, you you can still play your ball but the rough is so hard the fairway bunkers out there are extremely tough you're gonna have to have superb short game if you miss the greens there's been a lot of famous tiger flop shots hit from around these just because the, the locations that you can be in are so hard. I love a lot of the hole designs out there. Number 11 is one of my favorite par fives in, in the world. I love 14, that little short par four. I love 
I love what they did. The 16, adding that water on the left didn't used to be like that, and now it, it's added into an extremely new dynamic to that hole. And 18 is a great finishing hole as well. So I uh, I just absolutely love this course, Woody. And uh, have you ever gotten to go up and play Muirfield Village in your time? There's some trivia for you there, D-Dub. Uh, I actually played that Memorial Tournament three years. First year I played there, guys, I never shot around over par on that golf course. Wow. I shot – I shot even the first day, and then I think I shot one under, two under, one under. So, what do you like about it, Woody? Uh, it's just one of those classic golf courses. It just sets up so pretty from the tee. You just know where to hit it. I don't know, maybe because Jack Nicholas puts it on. I always tried to play good whenever I was at Arnold's place or Jack's place because I, I don't know, pride as much as anything. I just like the way the golf course looks is what it was with me. I thought it was just a great golf course. I don't blame you. It's one of the prettiest courses in the world. Um, fellas, there, there's a lot of big names that have played some great golf here at the Memorial. And, and Scotty Scheffler, I mean, he finished third here, what, two years ago? And then Cantlay's won here a couple times. John Rahm uh, has won here once, but really twice. <laughs> if you remember the withdrawal that he had to do during covid Guys, I mean, a lot of big names in this tournament that have prior course success. Uh, T-Dub, when you're making your pick this week, are you looking at recent form or prior course history? Probably a little bit of both, but if you had to pick one, which are you, which are you taking? I think and for this course, just because it's one that they played so consistently on the tour, I feel like the course history is probably a little bit even more so than recent form, but even though, What's funny is you look at the both of those and they seem to correlate well. The, the guys that have played this course really well, the top five, John Rahm has gained over three shots in the 17 rounds on this course. Patrick Cantlay second, Morikawa third, Scotty Scheffler fourth, Matt Kuchar is down at fifth, who is obviously not playing as good as he was five or six years ago, but it's still kind of had a little bit of a resurgence over the last couple of months or so. But yeah, those top four guys, not only do they, Woody, do they have the best uh, course history, but they have the best form as well. So I think they definitely go second two in hand then you also have uh, Xander Shoffley down there who who is uh, I believe about ninth or tenth in, in course history of guys in this field and the last five years he hasn't finished worse than, eight, than 18th place so it's uh, uh, definitely the two are correlated for sure I don't know uh, I don't know who to pick to be honest with you let me do some studying here and uh, <laughs> who's our top five did you guys say our top five for the Memorial is Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, and Rory McIlroy. Uh, to round out the top ten, you got Hovland, M, Morikawa, Hatton, Day, and Ricky Fowler. The analytics are really loving this week. He has better odds analytically than guys like a JT or a Jordan Spieth or a Cam Young and Hideki. I mean, the analytics are really favoring Ricky Fowler. Woody, uh, Ricky, I mean, he finished tied for sixth at the Charles Schwab. I think his time stop, is coming. Sam. He did miss the cut Sam. at the PGA, Sam. but he finished Sam, 14, stop, 15, stop. 10, 17. Picketing. You're not going to pick Ricky? It's not his, you don't think it's his week? And you be quiet, T-Dub. I'm not going to talk to you about Ricky either right now. I'm on a high right now. I'm getting ready to give a golf lesson. It's a beautiful day. And you two, the turds, are trying to drag me down into the bucket again. Quit it. Okay, I'm going with Hovland. You are going with Victor Hovland. I think that's a very solid pick. He looked a little bit tired last week at the Charles Schwab, but the silver lining with his tie for 16th finish was that he almost gained a full shot, .94 per round on the greens. Uh, So that was really impressive. 
stuff from Victor Hovland. Did lose shots, strokes gained approach, which is very uncharacteristic of him. So if he continues to putt that well and then finds his iron game again, which is not hard for him to do, I, I think that you're right on the money that he'll have a good week. Uh, T-Dub, I'm going to dive right into my one-and-done pick for this week. I don't think this could be more obvious. I should probably save him, but what did I tell Woody? I'm going to continue doing what I have done all year. I'm third place right now in this one-and-done pool with like over 150 people, T-Dub. So I am not saving anybody. I'm going with the guy who I think is going to win the golf tournament for this elevated event. I have no problem doing doing it since they're playing for so much money. Give me Patrick Cantlay. Patrick Cantlay finished top 10 at the PGA Championship. I'm not going to pick him at a major. He never seems to do well at major championships. All I mean, like I said, finished tied for ninth. That's about as good as we've seen from Patrick Cantlay in major championships. Um, but fellas, he's played really solid golf, finished tied for fourth in the team event at the Zurich, third place at the RBC, also had a third place at Riviera earlier this year, has thrown in a couple other top 15 finishes in between those. Uh, finished high for fourth at the Arnold Palmer. One of the most consistent players on the PGA Tour, fellas. And he hasn't won since the BMW Championship last year, but he's going back to Jack's place where last year he finished tied for third. The year before that, he won. Then in 2020, COVID year, he finished tied for 32nd. But in 2019, he won. In 2018, he finished solo fourth. He absolutely loves the Memorial. And I think that he is your safest play this week. Give me Patrick Cantlay to win the golf tournament this week at Jack's Place, T-Dub. He's the second favorite player analytically behind Scotty Scheffler. He's not lost strokes gained off the tee going all the way back to the FedEx St. Jude last year. In August, he is, he's only lost strokes gained approach to green twice since uh, January. So, no, Patrick Cantley has it absolutely rolling. But the, the, the kryptonite you have against you, Sam, is that that is who I am picking as well because there's, this is no time to, uh, to, be, uh, to be holding anyone back because as you are up in third, I believe I am in 19th or 20th or something like that. Which is still and, great. And I do believe that. I, I am very close to casting. I mean, I've had the, the players' champion winner. I had the masters winner. I had the PGA champion. I'm still not cashing, so I'm not sure what that says <laughs> about my other picks. But uh, at least the bigger tournaments, I've been halfway solid, and so I feel like this will be a, another one because Cantlay has just been playing so extremely well here recently. And I also do feel like he is going to be the most owned as well. And being up where I'm at is not necessarily. This is not time to try to go contrarian build up any ground so if he does go out and has even even a top five finish with this elevated event Woody it's going to give you a, a pretty substantial purse and if you do so happen to get a win 3.6 million you're going to vault up very very highly well these elevated events are crazy that that's what gets this thing going like gangbusters you all you all understand it and that's why the PGA Tour has done it because it's direct correlation to what Liv did we we beat this drum long enough I'll tell you what, this guy, this week, I'll probably watch a little memorial because I don't think the wife has any retaining walls for me to build or anything stupid like that going on out there <laughs> at my place. Um, so I'm going to probably watch that golf course simply because I like that golf course. But as you can maybe hear in the background, I've got a mower over there. I'm at the golf course today, and I'm getting ready to give one of my, one of my favorite students, if not my favorite student, a golf lesson. So... 
Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure to talk with you two today, but you tried to drag me into the gutter. You didn't get away with it, so I'm leaving on a happy note. <laughs> Woody, thank you for your time today. Uh, what are you guys going to work on today? It, it, you don't have to say any names, but uh, what are we working on today? What's the lesson about? Well, to be honest with you, I, I'm going to praise – I won't use his name, but I'm going to praise this guy. He has completely rebuilt his golf swing over the last two or three years. And so basically what we do is he comes out and I look at it and go, oh, my, that's good. Oh, my, that's good. <laughs> and then we decide we're going to go to the golf course and we always go out there. And what it will tell our listeners and everybody out there, when you make changes and when you're doing things, on the range they can feel pretty good. On the golf course they're still going to be a little scary. So just be patient with yourself, okay? Because uh, a lot of times you go to the golf course and you just don't trust it yet. But if you'll just give it time, it will work. And that's that's why he's my favorite student. I could tell him to stand on his head and hit one, and I think he'd try it. <laughs> that is beautiful stuff. That's Jim Woodward, teaching professional out at Oak Tree National. T-Dub, do you have any final thoughts on the memorial this week? We're both going with Cantlay. But, hey, it might not be the kiss of death. Me and Woody both went with Brooks Kepka at the PGA Championship, and he ended up winning. So maybe it's not the kiss of death like it was last year when we all picked same guys. I sure hope you're right, Tim. That, that would be a great case because being able to get a winner at this stage of the ball game in the one and done would just be monumental. And I mean, especially if you were able to get a win too. I, I still think you're. The thing is, there's someone up in first who has like a four million dollar lead. It's actually a little bit ridiculous, and, and so it's going to take a, a decent comeback for any of us to, to make a run at him. But uh, I think at a point now, I'm actually even rooting for your picks as well. Maybe if I get up in the top five with you, then I'll start rooting against you. But especially this week, since we have the same person, we we have to be on the coattails, and hopefully, we can get. Uh, to the finish line in one piece. T-Dub, last guy I want to talk about real quick. Kind of glossed over him a little bit. Rory McIlroy, and he's been struggling recently, but did finish tied for seventh at the PGA Championship, but didn't really contend. Kind of a classic Rory major like we've seen over this past decade. Before that, 47th at the Wells Fargo, missed the cut at the Masters. The putting did look a little bit better at the PGA. I uh, think he's probably getting some things figured out with Brad Fax and went back to the mallet has never won here at the Memorial, but has a bunch of solid finishes, like a tied for fourth back in 2016, tied for fifth, uh, tied for eighth back in 2018, fifth place back in 2011. But do you think we'll see anything uh, out of Rory that makes us want to pick him at the U.S. Open? To pick him at the U.S. Open? Probably not. There may be. Maybe he comes out and somehow finishes top five because it seemed like what was crazy about the PJ Championship was that he clearly did not have his best stuff and still finished, what, top 10? So, I mean, it was, you know, obviously not a great week for Rory, but but still able to come out in a major championship at the highest level and do it. He did gain 1.75 approach to green, but it just seemed like the, it just seemed like that he could be in a lot better form. But comparatively to what we saw at the Masters and the Players' Championship, and even at Wells Fargo, Quo Hollow, of course, that he absolutely loves. He's just been playing horrible, but he's getting a little bit more on the right track. So, yes, there is a chance. As you mentioned, has not won at the Memorial, but finished fourth, fifth, and then the last couple of years he's finished 18th back-to-back times. So I, I expect to finish somewhere around that, around somewhere between 10 to 20, if, if I had to pick it at this moment. I just I don't I think Rory's still missing that little bit, but as we've seen numerous times, Sam, a player can just get on a little bit of form and he can find something on the range this afternoon and it would change his the entire rest of his year so it can happen at, at the blink of an eye without a doubt i just don't feel like that this is going to be the week that that happens 
No doubt about it. His time is coming. He'll win a tournament eventually, and we'll see that old Rory McIlroy. There's just too much talent. Also, John Rahm had his worst finish uh, at the PGA Championship. That was his worst finish since the Genesis Scottish Open last year. Obviously, won six times worldwide. In between those, he is going to have one of those weeks where he blitzes a field, and he loves the Memorial as well. Um, Probably should pick him to win the golf tournament, but I don't know. I'm picking Patrick Cantlay this week uh, because I don't even have John Rahm available in the one and done, but I think that John Rahm's going to play really, really well this week at the Memorial. It's going to be really fun to watch. T-Dub, thank you. Woody, thank you. Thank you to Cam Jordan for coming on the show talking college golf. Everyone enjoy the match play this week and then enjoy the Memorial coming up this weekend. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Definitely go get all of your local golf news from Kim McLeod, Chris Swafford. Those guys are doing an awesome job up in Tulsa. And definitely make sure to hit that subscribe button. It's absolutely free, and it just helps us out, and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. T-Dub will be back next week here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.